one constant through all the years, Ray, has been baseball. It reminds us of all that once was good. And the only church that truly feeds the soul day in, day out is the Church of Baseball. White Sox Weekly, presented by Miller Lite, the official weekly talk show covering all things White Sox baseball. The latest news and views from players, coaches, and direct from the front office. White Sox Weekly, on the proud new home for Chicago White Sox baseball. WLSEMB. Welcome in to White Sox Weekly. My name is Dave Zaslowski, in for Connor McKnight this week. Hope you're having a good holiday season as we wind out 2016 and get ready for 2017. Uh, as you know, the White Sox have been fairly active uh, this offseason. A lot of trades. They traded away Chris Sale, traded away Adam Eaton, maybe some uh, more trades to come before pitchers and catchers report, which will just be in a few weeks believe it or not. One of the players the White Sox got in the Adam Eaton trade from the Washington Nationals is Lucas Giolito, and Connor had a chance to give his thoughts on Lucas Giolito, and also we'll hear from Lucas right here. Here's Connor and Lucas Giolito. One of the first questions to Lucas was, what's it like coming over uh, with all these guys that you know? Yeah, I definitely think it's amazing uh, to be coming over the White Sox with a bunch of um, young talent, I think it's I think it's a great opportunity for uh, for us to all develop and get better, and, and hopefully put a put a really good team together in Chicago. But uh, yeah, I'm definitely excited to be to be coming over with a couple guys from from my previous organization, Ronaldo. Um, I've actually been playing with since 2014, where we're pretty close and. Um, I'm excited that he's coming over as well. Um, I haven't met Dane, but I'm looking forward to meeting him um, just because he was drafted last year. Uh, both Giolito and Lopez did get the call to the bigs last year, and that impacted at least Lucas in a pretty big way. Last year in the minors, I mean, um, we started out in double A, and, and my goal was to just continue continue to pitch as well as I could and make it up to the big leagues and contribute at that level. And uh, I was given that opportunity multiple times and you know the debut was like a dream come true it, it's it's really amazing uh being able to step on the field for the first time in a major league uniform and uh yeah it it didn't go as well as i would have would have liked it to go uh obviously if you if you look at the numbers and everything um but i feel that uh with the the white Sox now getting traded and everything uh, it's it's kind of like a, a fresh opportunity, a new start um, to to get up to the big leagues again and, and contribute and do everything I can to stay there as well. One of the new acquisitions of the Chicago White Sox, that is pitcher Lucas Giolito there with Connor McKnight. Someone who had a firsthand view of Lucas Giolito is Kevin Brown. He is the radio announcer for the Syracuse Chiefs, the AAA team of the Washington Nationals a couple of weeks ago. Connor had a chance to talk with Kevin Brown and really get some insight on Lucas Giolito. And the first thing Connor started out with was, is his size really his size? You know, some guys are listed at 6'6", 255, and then you shake their hand and you think, oh, that's not true. Uh, this one is true. He is a big, physically imposing guy 
I'll say this though: Lucas is sort of a baby-faced young man, and, mm. and I mean that in a good way. He's he's a pretty soft-spoken, thoughtful guy. Um, he's got a, a hulking mass in terms of size, but he's not the sort of guy that's going to stare you down with lasers coming out of his eyes. You know, like so many relievers often are, sure, um, or some starters too. He's a he's a much gentler guy in that respect. Now that doesn't have anything to do with a lack of a competitive streak, which he certainly has. But, yeah, he's a big guy, and that's one of the reasons uh, the Nationals were so high on him, and that's one of the reasons why everyone was so high on him, and, and, and one of the reasons, frankly, why this was such a surprise. You now, the other name in the trade is, is Lopez uh, in terms of this discussion. I know Dane Dunning as well, and we'll get to Lopez, but there are a lot of folks that think, you know, Ronaldo Lopez might end up being a reliever because of his limited size he's not that physically imposing nobody thinks that about giolito he certainly is big enough to hold up yeah and giolito has been the number one prospect in baseball once perhaps twice and maybe even a third time who knows i mean those those lists will come out and for the white Sox, he is in that conversation within the organization he's a guy who you know from from all the reports all the scouting he could have been the first guy taken in his draft and would have been the first right-hander high school right-hander to be taken one one ever if not for the tommy john and i imagine that's shaped him some yeah i think so and it's something that the nationals by the way are, are no strangers to doing um they took eric fetty right after him the next year another right-hander who had tommy john surgery but uh lucas is somebody that you know and so many pitchers have this surgery now so much younger than we're used to year after year in baseball parlance. He's somebody who came to the Chiefs pretty well physically molded uh, and someone who, over his fairly brief professional tenure, has had really no whisper or inkling um, that we're aware of, of of arm issues. He was healthy all season in A. He did not miss a start with the Chiefs or in his time with Washington, uh, you know, it, it seems like he's one of those success cases, and there are more and more of them now that have Tommy John surgery early. And you, know, you never know how a career is going to play out. Obviously, we, some guys have it once, never heard from again. Some guys have it once, become all stars. Some guys have it once and have to have Tommy John surgery a second, or you know, now we've seen some that have, have to have it a third time. But I think Lucas is someone that came into the Nationals system with an understanding that hey. This is going to take a few years because he just had the surgery. They've been very patient with him. They've played it uh, very close to the vest. They've not elevated his innings too quickly, and I think he benefited as a result of that. Talking with Kevin Brown is the play-by-play man for the Syracuse Chiefs. He is uh, pretty familiar with Lucas Giolito and Ronaldo Lopez as they come into the White Sox system. Uh, Kevin, we talked a little bit earlier in the show with Mike Antonellis, who does the double-A work. Uh, for the Portland Sea Dogs, yeah. wanted to know about Yuan Mankata. And and we talked about double-A pitching, I guess, in, in relation to uh, Mankata and his development. Are With triple-A pitchers, are how does Lucas check off some of the boxes that you want to see a pitcher check off as he goes from double-A, where a lot of elite arms kind of live for a while, and then move on to triple-A, where the type of arm that's in that system can be so much different? Well, the one thing that we were particularly looking for to check off was his command, because frankly, his walk numbers were not great in Double A, um, and it was better in Triple A because you know in Triple A you have to have a little bit more of a plan. I, I think in Double A, 
Yeah, the talent level is certainly higher in, in AAA. That's just logically one level up. The thing about AA is you often have a raw talent that might equate to what you have in AAA. It's just a little more polished in AAA. So AA, you can get by on stuff a little bit more than you can in AAA, where you have to have command, you have to change speeds, change pitches. And where Lucas did struggle this past year was commanding his curveball. Um, it's something that you can draw a pretty direct line through when you look at his first few chief starts and his last few with the Chiefs in AAA. When he didn't have the curveball, long at-bats, long battles, more walks. And it was a matter of, and I think being 6'6 may have to do with this, and the fact that he's a pretty cerebral guy may have to as well, uh, it, it was just really a matter of the length of his stride. It's something that he worked with quite a bit. He worked on these flat-footed drills where he just essentially throw flat-footed from the bullpen mound, mm. throw curveball after curveball with, with Bob Malacchi, who's the Syracuse pitching coach and a former big leaguer in, uh, in his own right. And he just worked on trying to get that breaking ball down because it has such a tremendous spike. But in AAA, guys aren't going to fish for that just because it has a good spike. In AAA, guys are going to take it if it plummets completely out of the zone, and maybe they're not going to do that as much in AA. So it took him a few starts to really get settled in. Once the curveball kind of came into play and he could set up that pitch with the fastball and with the changeup, uh, there was a huge difference in, in Giolito. So I'd say if there's any one pitch that's going to make him in the development from AA to AAA and now AAA to the majors uh, shortly, as White Sox fans are no doubt hoping, it's that curveball. That's a, really a simplified way of saying is that pitch goes, uh, so goes he. And I'm interested to see if the strides he made literally and figuratively last year with it uh, we'll we'll play into this year with a new organization. Connor McKnight, along with Kevin Brown. Kevin Brown is the radio announcer for the AAA Syracuse Chiefs. They happen to be the AAA team of the Washington Nationals, and we're getting a little insight there on newest White Sox, Lucas Giolito. My name is Dave Zaslowski, in for Connor McKnight. Don't forget to join us for a fun season of White Sox baseball with your own customized Pick 7 or Pick 14 plan. Choose your favorite games and promotions and enjoy savings off the individual game ticket price. These plans are available now, so secure your seats before individual tickets go on sale. For tickets or more information, visit WhiteSox.com slash season tickets or give them a call at 312-674-1000. Up next for you, the last weekend of the season, Connor had a chance to sit down with White Sox starting pitcher Carlos Rodon. We'll let you hear what that sounded like next. This is White Sox Weekly on WLS AM 890. You are listening to White Sox Weekly on WLS AM 890. My name is Dave Zaslowski in for Connor McKnight this week. SoxFest 2017 returns January 27th through January 29th, bringing ballpark fun to the Hilton Chicago. You'll score an autograph or photo with current players, coaches, and White Sox greats. Your favorite areas are back with an interactive space to play games, win prizes, and shop for team gear. It'll be a weekend of White Sox baseball that you won't want to miss. Hotel packages are available right now. All you have to do is visit White Sox. Sox.com slash SoxFest 
for tickets and more information. At the end of last season, the last weekend, in fact, Connor McKnight had a chance to sit down with White Sox lefty Carlos Rodon. Here is how that conversation went. So, Carlos, your first full season through the big leagues, first start of the year, you know, you had some good starts, had some rough ones, and then this last two months, you've been on a roll. How have the season, you know, this whole first run through the big league gone for you? How is it different from the first time around last season? Um, once again, man, in this game you're constantly learning on, you know, learning your craft and learning about yourself. And I'm so young, still, still growing, still growing in pitching, still growing in the game, still growing mentally. So uh, there's things that's changed, you know, as far as, you know, attacking hitters and how to pitch them and, you know, there's sometimes you don't have to throw as hard, and sometimes you don't you don't have to overpower guys, and just learning little things like that. Um, a lot of this, a lot of this game is you know watching Q and and say they're so efficient when they go out there. You know, they, they're they're going eight innings with a hundred pitches, and you know I go six innings with a hundred pitches, and you can just see the difference, and that's that's kind of the, the learning curve, and that's where I'm trying to get to is where they're at. And that's the point. When you you know at one point during the season, I think it was about a two months in or so, you said you were gonna gonna let things loose a little bit, you know, kind of uh, throw with a little more velocity, I guess. How would you characterize that change? You know, what exactly were you were you talking about? Do you think you've accomplished that? Um, yeah, it's just you know maybe not so much ball. But just as far as tacking hitters, um, you know, there's a way about going, you know, going hard at guys. There's times where, you know, I could reach back and beat guys with a fastball when you know, they're not expecting it. And uh, I think hitters are start, trying, starting to figure out, figure that out about me. And um, so that's a, another adjustment I'm going to have to make here soon. And um, but yeah, you know, this, as far as uh, this little run would be going on. Um, it's been good. Uh, the progression of the changeup, uh, Coop and I working on it, and mm-hmm. you know, just having it called by Omer back there, you know, give me a chance to throw it. It's 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 helping helping with my confidence and helping, you know, helping me getting the hitters off those fastballs and sliders every time. Um, just another another thing they could see. Just an easy early early outs, uh, just quicker innings with that pitch. You won't remember this, but your first spring training, I was down in Arizona, and we talked a little bit about your slider and how you like to take a little off, put a little on. You can kind of shape it two different ways. I think I remember you saying at that point. You know, that was a while ago, though. Yeah. Do you find that that's you know, still something you can do to big league hitters? Yeah, uh, for sure. Um, I do it all the time You know, throughout the games. When Omar calls it, we go back to our slider. It's not a slider. It's a hard. It'll probably be 83 to 85 max. Right. And if we want to drop one in down the middle, it's probably going to be anywhere from 85 to 87. And we're back footing to someone, it's probably anywhere from 88 to 91. So well, I've seen a 93 varies, from you there. Yeah, it, it varies <laughs> depending on, you know, the situation. But, you know, that's those are the three sliders. And uh, the back door is almost like a slurve. One down the middle is like a, your generic slider with depth. And then the, the last one is just like a hard-biting slider. Do you find that that having all three of those makes it difficult to you know can you lose one and have the other two or have two yeah, and have days, one? There's days there's days I don't have it at all. And there's yeah. days that I have all three or there's days I have one and not the other two or yeah. just two or not the one. It's it, it, it varies it varies and you know those are the adjustments you have to make in this game. And there's been a couple of times here I've gone out there and you know I wouldn't I didn't have nothing. I had poor fastball, poor changeup, and then just had to compete. And, it, that's 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 the name of the game when you play 162 and we're starting 30 of them. You're not gonna have your best stuff every day, but you know the guys that are real successful like Q and Sale and 
you know, Kluber and other guys in this league, uh, even when they have their bad stuff, they're still dominant guys, and they don't. We don't even know it. Yeah. Yeah. And that's where I want to be. <laughs> I get the sense that getting deeper into starts is a big thing on that checklist for you. Yeah, uh, that's that's the that's the name of the game for starters eating up innings. I mean, you want to be one of the guys that has. You want to be top five in innings. That's one of my goals. You know, 225, 230 innings, over 200 innings the rest of my career is my plan. And just to be a workhorse to, to eat up those innings and save the bullpen, you know, seven, eight, seven, eight innings every time out, and you're doing your job. Yeah. You've been getting deep, though. You had a 122, I think, at some point in uh, at the end of August, I think it was. You can't, I mean, I know you're going to say you feel good. But you can't feel the exact same as you did at this point last season, just because you've thrown so much more. Can you can you tell us what the difference is in how you feel now and how you felt then? Um, last year I had more starts that were skipped. I had time in between, you know, That's six, true. seven, six, seven days. You started in the bullpen too, yeah. so. Yeah, I started. I made my first start on I think like May 9th or something, and. Uh, We'd go five days, five days for like three weeks straight, and then you know, like give me six or seven days for two weeks straight, and then we'd go back to five. So it was kind of on and off, but this year it's been more five days every time out, five days every time out, five days every time out, and skip every once in a while with day off in between, but it wouldn't happen often. And you know, that kind of when you're not used to it, um, it, it wears on you. Uh, you know, I felt it a little bit, not gonna lie. Uh, sure. But you know, I, I don't think there there is. You know, when you're just starting in, in this business, I don't think there's any sort of physical condition or conditioning that you can do to get you ready for what you're about to do here. Right. Uh, you just have to do it. You have to go through it once or twice or three times so you get used to it. Your arm, bo- arm and body get used to it. Um, and, you know, it's second time through, and, you know, now it's more consistent. Like I said, five days every time through, and I'm not going to lie, I mean, I'm, I'm a little worn out, but still, still kicking strong here. Yeah. I wish it would have been 190 innings instead of a, whatever it's going to be, 168 or 165 innings is what I'm going to be at if I wouldn't have jumped over that stupid <laughs> freaking dugout uh, thing. We would have been at uh, 190 or whatever. Did you... Uh... <laughs> Did you slip going up and over? Yeah, I, I slipped going up and over and fell on it. Um, you're not the first. You're yeah. not. You're not the first guy to take it. Wasn't purposeful, that's for sure. Well, sure. So, I'm asking everybody this, kind of, as we round out the season. What is the one lesson you learned, whether it's about yourself, whether it's about this ball club, about competing at the big leagues, that you that took you by surprise? You know, something you learned that you didn't exactly think you'd be uh, learning at this point in your life. Um. I don't think people expect to learn this at any moment. I don't know. Um, maybe it takes it takes time for certain people. Some people probably learn it um, when they're older and something uh, tragic happens. Um, so we had Jose Fernandez pass, yeah. what, last week, a couple of days ago. Yeah. Um, and it, it's, a, it's a simple life lesson. You know, don't take, don't take things for granted. Um, I didn't know him, but I knew of him. Um, never got to beat him. But just the way watching him, how he enjoyed the game. You know, you've seen the videos all week long. And, sure. And uh, the things he did. And, you know, even though sometimes 
he pissed some people off when he was playing the game. But I'll tell you what, he was having the most fun of his life. And just just a little little lesson for everyone, you know. Just don't take don't take this game for granted. And don't take anything you have for granted because, I mean, a guy that you thought probably would was probably going to be one of the best pitchers in the game and probably was, to me, like never would have thought this would have happened to any superstar that I think pretty much are like, you know, untouchables. They're not un- and it, and untouchable. Yeah, they're not untouchable. I mean, yeah. you're not. Anything can happen. So that's that's the one thing I learned, and I learned it uh, last week. <laughs> White Sox starting pitcher Carlos Rodon with Connor McKnight kind of uh, looking back at last season and looking ahead a little bit this year to uh, see what kind of pressure is going to be on him. Hey, give the gift of White Sox baseball this holiday season. White Sox holiday packs include ticket vouchers redeemable for 71 great games in 2017 and start at just $40. Each order shipped with a decorative card and commemorative White Sox ornament, complete with the official team colors and logos, as well as festive red stitching. Visit WhiteSox.com slash holiday packs for more information or to order yours today. Up next here on White Sox Weekly, Connor had a chance to chat with J.J. Cooper from Baseball America, and J.J., you know, kind of broke down how the White Sox offseason has gone so far. We'll hear from those two next. This is White Sox Weekly on WLS AM 890. This is White Sox Weekly on WLS AM 890. My name is Dave Zaslowski in for Connor McKnight. And remember, the most popular way to follow White Sox baseball is with MLB.com at bat, the number one app for live baseball. Enjoy live look-ins, highlights, game day, scores, stat cast, live radio broadcast, and more. Get MLB.com at bat on your favorite device now. And, you know, White Sox have been pretty active here so far this offseason. A couple of weeks ago, Connor had a chance to chat with J.J. Cooper from Baseball America. And let's hear how J.J. Cooper thinks the White Sox offseason is going so far. What are your general impressions of the decision to trade Chris Sale and Adam Eaton so far? I think that I think Chicago was really stuck in a terrible place. They had some really good players. Chris Sale, obviously, Jose Quintana. You've got Todd Frazier. You've got Jose Abreu. They, you know, David Robertson. They've got guys who are really good. The problem is, is that I, I look at the 2017 White Sox, and it was really hard to say that if you t- brought the 2016 team back, that they were going to be that much better. Chris Sale was really good last year. Quintana was really good. Frazier was about as good as you could expect him to be. Adam Eaton was good. These guys performed. It's not like that they had a lot of injuries in 2016 mm-hmm. and they just missed the playoffs by a couple of games. This was a team that was stuck kind of in non-contention without either spending a lot more money in a pretty thin free agent market, especially on the pitching side, or they needed to rebuild. And it's not done yet. I mean, the rebuild, I would imagine they're going to end up making some more trades. But even so far, they have made massive strides on the rebuild with just a couple of moves. Yeah, so how deep of a, of a, of a prospect fill-out is this to you? I mean, have you are there comps to moves like this? I mean, with Sale having so much time left on a contract and Adam Eaton kind of the same, is there anything that, that in, the, in the past that reminds you of moves like this, and how much better Ooh. is the Sox system now? Oh, it's dramatically better. Sure. Uh, it's, it, 
the the way I'll put it is is that the the, the White Sox had a truly near the bottom farm system. They weren't the 29th worst. They weren't the 30th worst. But they were somewhere in that 26th, 27th, maybe even 28th range. I mean, they were at the bottom. And you look at them now, and they're easily a top 10. Maybe they're a top five farm system now. Wow. And, again, that's with there's still more moves to come. But I guess if I'm looking for a way to describe that, you know, and this kind of starts diving into the prospects, but Yoan Mankata is clearly their number one prospect now. But we had already done our White Sox top 10 uh, for the offseason. We'll update it now. But we've done our White Sox top 10. If you said, okay, well, how do these guys who are coming in compare? I would say that six of the seven guys that they traded for in those two days are going to rank in their top ten. And those six of those seven, you could make an argument. We haven't finalized it yet, but you could make an argument that six of, the, that six of those prospects rank among the top seven prospects in the White Sox system now. Wow. That's a pretty dramatic change. And, and what's interesting to me, talking with J.J. Cooper at uh, Baseball America here on White Sox Weekly, what's interesting to me is that, you know, we've seen sell-offs before. We've seen some rebuilds of, you know, similar ilk, but over, like, longer time. You know, we're talking about the Cubs and the Astros and those kind of processes. It looks like, and correct me if I'm wrong, but it looks like they've picked up prospects, the White Sox have, that are a lot closer to the big leagues than prospects that either of those teams or other rebuilding teams have traded for. Really the only one that I can think of in those two, Addison Russell was pretty darn close to the big leagues when the mm-hmm. Cubs picked them up. Otherwise, they were guys whose windows were, you know, two, maybe more years out. No, you look at this and you say, okay, Lucas Giolito, you should pitch in, you know, in Chicago at some point in 2017. Renato Lopez should pitch in Chicago at some point in 2017. He may be ready to go on, on day one. I know that, the, the White Sox are talking about the need to kind of give you on Mankata, you know, some time, more time in the minors. And, and let's be honest, with all these guys, they may get slowed down a little bit more than normal now because the 2017 White Sox aren't really going to win anything. So if that's the case, don't, you know, add up service time too much. Let them really be ready. Right. But Giolito, Lopez, Mankata are all guys who have already played in the majors. They're not far away. Even a guy like Kopech. Kopech pitched last year in high class A. It depends on – you can be really patient with them if you want them to be a starter. You can also, if it came to the point in 2018 or 19 and the rebuild's going really well and they need help, he's a guy who can help them because you can put him in the pen and he's pretty close to ready to do that. So I do think that these are guys who are uh, much closer to the big leagues and this is not a we'll be waiting and seeing from what these guys can do in 2020, 2021 or anything like that. I want to talk uh, about the arms that got picked up here. Obviously, there were a lot of arms in these two deals, uh, a handful of them. And and I like that Rick Hahn and the White Sox were going out and finding the best prospects. It's not so much about positionality for me, but when you look at some of the arms involved in these deals, throwing strikes on a regular basis is kind of the, the knock on each one of them and why they're prospects and not major mm-hmm. league starters. Do you look at the marriage between the White Sox, who are a system that really does generate pitchers at a high rate and at a quality rate, and some of these guys as, as pretty decent or, or easy clicks? You, you kind of have two types of guys who are not in the big leagues yet who are pitching prospects. <laughs> you know, if you have the guy, and Julio Urias was with the Dodgers as a 19-year-old this year, is the guy who, hits the, who checks these boxes to me. If you have a guy who has premium top-end stuff and regularly throws strikes, very rarely is that guy in the, in the minors. Right. Because he's checked off everything he needs to do to get the big leagues. 
So when you're acquiring prospects, you've really got two combos almost. You've got the guys who they throw, they have really good stuff, really good arms, they throw really hard, they have really good breaking balls or really good change-up, and that's, I think, something you could say for Giolito and Lopez and Kopech. Or they're guys who don't throw as hard but already locate, and that's why they're having success. Uh, if you're trading for guys and you're trading for looking down the future, you know, long-term in the future, I, to me, I would rather have the guys who uh, – Giolito's thrown 100, Lopez has thrown 100, Kopech's thrown 100. Dunning won't throw 100, but he throws – he's got a, a plus fastball as well. You get those guys, and especially when you put them in a, an, an organization that has done an outstanding job, especially at the big league level, of developing pitchers, you put that all together – you want you want the raw clay that has higher potential than the guy who sits at ninety ninety two but really can locate it. They they're going for the guys who there's some refinement still to be done, but they're special arms. And yeah, I, I completely agree with the going in that direction. That's really what you look back at Chris Sale. That's what Chris Sale was when they drafted him. Yeah, yeah. and. Talking with J.J. Cooper here, Baseball America. Before we let you go, I wanted to ask about aggressive promotion of prospects. The White Sox are known to do that, especially with arms, whether it's Chris Sale or Rodon or even Carson Fulmer last year. They're they're able to do it because they get guys to work. Do you think that that theory or that philosophy sticks with some of these uh, some of these arms that they've acquired, or is that a different plan now because you mentioned uh, what the 2017 team may look like uh, if these all, if the trades continue, very good question. Look, you're hearing rumblings from the White Sox that no, they're going to slow things down. I mean, it's also worth noting that they've made some changes. They've moved some guys around. Nick Capra, who was the farm director for for several years, right. is now on the big league staff. So, you know, a, a different farm director comes in. Farm directors don't make these decisions in a vacuum, but they are a significant part of the decision making process on this, and. We are getting some indications that maybe they're going to move guys a little bit slower. As you note, it's worked out pretty well for a number of guys. Yeah. I do think that there are, you know, there are also some hitters who probably, in hindsight, were moved too aggressively. I wouldn't even say in hindsight. At the time, we were saying, "Wow, Courtney Hawkins is probably should not be in high A," and Courtney Hawkins was in high A and striking out a lot and things like that. Their first round pick from 2012. I, so I do think. The combination of there's been some changes, some moves and all that, plus, as you just noted again, the, the fact that there's no reason to rush these guys to the big leagues to take lumps in the big leagues to rack up service time, which means they'll be free agents quicker on a team that's not going to be very good. It makes a whole lot more sense to let them really kind of dominate. This is something the Rays are obviously, the Tampa Bay Rays are one of the smallest of small market teams. But one of the notable things they do is, is for all their pitchers is they keep them in AAA almost until they're beyond ready. Hmm. But one of the things that does is is that when they get to the big leagues, we saw Carlos Rodon last year, saw flashes of greatness, but you also saw a lot of inconsistency. The Rays' idea is is that they want the minute they start paying those guys big league salaries, they want those starters to be ready to produce, to fit right in the middle of rotation and to be really more consistent than the average young pitcher. And that's worked out pretty well for them. I, I would see that there's some logic of doing that with Giolito, with Lopez, with Mancata. That could be an incredible AAA uh, team, which thankfully for us is just down the road. We're in Durham, North Carolina. There you just go. down the road in Charlotte. 
I'm looking forward to seeing those guys because that could be a really good AAA team. J.J. Cooper from Baseball America along with Connor McKnight right there breaking down the White Sox offseason so far. And you know what? Add some White Sox fun to your next event. Schedule Southpaw for a birthday party, a wedding, festival, school assembly, block party, or more. To have Southpaw visit you, call 312-674-1000 or visit whitesox.com slash Southpaw. Coming up next, we will hear from Paul Canerco. This is White Sox Weekly on WLS AM 890. You're listening to White Sox Weekly on WLS AM 890. My name is Dave Zaslowski in for the vacationing Connor McKnight, you want to stay up to date on all things White Sox this offseason, and there are a lot of things to keep up with. Be sure to follow the team on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and Snapchat for all things White Sox-related, like SoxFest, on-sale dates, and much more. Earlier this summer, our very own Rachel Brady had a chance to sit down with Paul Canerco. He was in town and uh, throwing out the first pitch one night, and Rachel got to spend some time with Paul Canerco. Here's how that interview went. You spent 90% of your career here. It has to be nostalgic being back here at US Cellular. Oh, for sure. I mean, it, it, in some respects, when I walk back in here, it's like I never left. I mean, walking through the tunnel... Um, you know, coming down, it seems like I'm just walking into another game. Uh, on the other hand, it seems like I haven't played a game in 50 years. You know, it seems like it's been forever. So, um, but it's it's nice to see a lot of familiar faces. I mean, that's the thing about the game is that um, I got to play the game for a long time uh, as a player, and, and I feel like I got everything out of my system in a baseball sense. I played as much as I wanted, all the at bats and all the swings and all the ground balls. So I never, I don't miss that portion of it really. Um, but there's so many people that are inside of this game, especially when you're in one place for a long time. The security people, the travel, the front office people, the yeah. traveling secretary. There's just there's just hundreds of them, and and in one day you stop playing and you just don't see them anymore. I mean, these are close friends of yours. You know, you right. keep in contact, emails and text messages and all that, but you don't get to see them. You don't get to have dinner with them, and yeah. it, you know that's that's the part that's tough. And uh, so when I come back here for a couple weeks to Chicago. You know, I really try to dive in and try to make up for some lost time because, you know, you do those relationships you make are for a lifetime. The game went, you know, for every player. Uh, but those relationships, you know, if you, if you do it right, you can have them forever. Now, talking about the staff, you've been through some managers here. And just going down memory lane, Ozzy and Robin almost seem polar opposite, right? Ozzy, what you see is what you get. Robin, a bit more laid back. Is there any behind-the-scenes uh, stories or anything that... You can share with us? Well, I would say first off is that the way they appear on the outside, you're right, it's completely opposite. But I would say like their baseball values and how they like the game to be played and what it's important to them, very, very similar. Um, you got to remember, those guys played together for a long time. They're kind of like the same age and, you know, kind of came up through the same era together, played on the same White Sox teams together. So there's a lot more similar than what you would think. Um, so... But obviously the way they deliver it and their demeanor are completely different. Um, but the stories, I mean, I think for me when I think of Ozzy, I think of just wild times of those teams we had were, were good teams. Obviously you had one team that was a great team that won the World Series. And I just, every day was 
you just came walking in going, okay, what's going to happen today? Like, is it, there was very rarely was there like a whole hum day. There was like, you know, either players that were getting into it or Ozzy was, you know, going off about something or he got thrown out that night or there was like, there was always something kind of going on. It was not calm. It wasn't boring. There's drama. Always drama. Um, and I think Ozzy was, you know, smart, um, you know, like a fox. I think he knew, especially with our 05 team, as that year went on, I'm going to make waves because the way, more waves I made, everybody comes, talks to me, and they leave my team alone, and I'll take it. And so for us, it was actually, everybody would always ask, like, is it tough to play for Ozzy to deal with all these distractions? You know, for a player, it was actually easy because they, he would talk all day before the game. There was sometimes we'd come in and the media wouldn't even be around because he would just be doing his thing for like two hours. We'd go out, play the game. And that was it. So he actually took a lot off of the player as a manager. All right, a lot of career changes the last couple of years from first baseman to assistant coach on your son's Little League team, now fashion designer. Is that how I refer to you? Somewhat. I, I think it's a one-and-done, uh, one-T-shirt design, and uh, that had help doing it, of course, with uh, a pro. But, um, yeah, we're raising some money here for uh, uh, sensory processing disorder. And... Um, pretty simple idea a player designs a t-shirt to his liking something that he thinks is cool something he'd wear out you know on the town Um, and you promote it on social media really try to get people a movement behind it Um, it's all facilitated by a company called Athletes Brand so you go to athletesbrand.com backslash Paul and you can find this t-shirt here it'll tell you all about what it's what it's for the cause and and the design and all the thoughts behind it it's pretty it's pretty cool what they what they kind of show you on the website and um just seeing how much money uh, you try to do our small part to raise some money for a good cause. Yeah, tell us more about this cause. Yeah, it's a sensory processing disorder. It's kind of like what I would like to call kind of like the, the little brother to autism. Uh, kind of gets lost in the shuffle a little bit. There's a lot of kids out there uh, and adults that suffer from it, uh, but it's kind of not recognized quite as as, as uh, well as, as some other things. And so what happens is uh, there's a lot of misdiagnoses from it. There's uh, a lot of, uh, I think one of the main things is that insurances don't recognize it. And so what happens is even when a family knows they have a, a son or a daughter that's dealing with this, uh, a lot of uh, the therapies that go into it have to come 100% out of pocket. So what winds up happening is, for a lot of families, they just choose not to do it because they can't do it. And that's just very unfortunate. So um, I do think in time it'll be something that is definitely more uh, at the forefront, uh, you know, as far as it being a recognized serious problem going on. There's just too many kids and too many people that suffer from it. Um, so we're just trying to do our part and help out some families raising some money. How did you get involved with this cause? My older boy uh, suffers from it, and we were lucky because if he's 10 years old now, and at the age of three, uh, it was it was you know diagnosed, and we were fortunate because we had the, the means to, to get him what he needed, and you know now um, you know a lot of the things he had going on are smoothed out now and you can kind of see the connection of how he's going to be you know a productive adult and uh so you know i just know from a personal standpoint um we were lucky because we could get all the help we needed and we really dialed in on it early at, at an early time um but it would just be amazing if you knew your child had a problem and you didn't have uh the money as so many families don't and you have to make hard choices um and if you do choose to 
go ahead and give therapy to your kid, what is those sacrifice? What, what do your other children in your family? What, what, where you know you're going to be sacrificing something somewhere, and I just think that's not right for something like this. I think that um, you know it's, it should be something like a lot of other things that are just paid for by insurances and, and, and all that. It's not yet as much. Some things are depending on what it is, uh, and, and unfortunately, what you have is a lot of parents. To, should, to, to illustrate my point, is you have parents that are asking for their kid to be diagnosed with autism even when they don't have it because it would pay for things and that's not good because you don't want the kid to have the stigmatism right. of having that the rest of his life if he doesn't have it it also throws off all the statistics for autism so it's a the more i've learned about it uh just like any anything really it, it kind of it gets deep and um you know again i, I i'm my wife uh she is the one over the last you know seven eight years that really learn this and as an expert I would call it at it as much as you can be as being a, a, just a, a civilian um, I'm kind of catching up I was playing and I always knew there was something going on but she was the one taking him to all the appointments and doing all the things necessary so now that I'm out of it uh, out of the game and have learned about this it's pretty uh, it's a serious thing and there's, it's, it's, I, I want to say it's about one in seven kids that, that suffer from some degree of uh, sensory processing well, I think for anyone listening right now, just hearing your story, they do want to get involved. How easy is it for everyone to purchase this T-shirt? What's the process? Yeah, I mean, just go to athletesbrand.com uh, backslash Paul. That'll take you right to my page. And on there, there's some links that'll take you to um, the Star Institute in Colorado that uh, is a place where families actually travel to to get uh, therapies and, and of course in other cities there's other places you can get therapy for occupational therapy and things like that uh, for, for this but the Star Institute is, is the big one out in Colorado and uh, if nothing else you can go there and just read about it it's just it's really uh, uh, it's, it's fascinating um, to know I mean when you think about sensory processing what is that it's all the senses so think of touch smell uh, feel hearing uh, vision um, you know, the way I'm speaking right now in a soft tone uh, to a kid who has sensory processing disorder with his hearing, it might sound like I'm yelling and it's unbearable. And I think for somebody who doesn't have it, they can't understand. They just, unfortunately, a lot of times a kid that has these things going on um, might get made fun of or, or um, you know, it's just thought of as, um, yeah, he's the weird kid. You know, and it's not. There's something, and it can also be fixed and be smoothed out, like I said. So, um, you know, it's uh, just like anything that anybody's ever had any other conditions in their family or diseases. When it hits home and you see it up close, it's a whole different spin on it. That's 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 what we have going on. White Sox great and sure to be Hall of Famer Paul Konerko with our very own Rachel Brady. That is it for White Sox Weekly this week. My name is Dave Zaslowski. Connor McKnight will be back next week with another edition of White Sox Weekly right here on WLS AM 800. Listening to White Sox Weekly, presented by Miller Lite, the official weekly talk show covering all things White Sox baseball. Listen every week for White Sox Weekly. And listen to White Sox Baseball right here. WLS AM 890.